So we meditated on Psalm 86 in our worship. And I think we can all identify with David because he goes through all the emotions that each of us go through. And Psalm 86 is written from a place of suffering and uncertainty. Although it's hard to be certain what the situation was in which David wrote this particular psalm, it seems that these psalms were written at the time that David was betrayed by his third son, Absalom. David was king, and Absalom wanted to take the throne from him. So Absalom devised a trick to gain the favor of the people and take David's place. What he did, basically, was he waited outside David's palace and told people that David was too busy to see them and that he would deal with their problems instead. Absalom was a clever politician. You might also remember something else about Absalom is he was very handsome. In 2 Samuel verse 14, we read that from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. He's a handsome guy. He also had good hair, which in good Old Testament tradition uh, was, the, was his end in the end. So Absalom eventually gained the favor of the people and took over his father's throne. And he even slept with his father David's concubines. So David fled Jerusalem in fear of his own son. It's quite a lot to take in that David's going through. He might be a powerful king, but in this situation he is reduced to absolute powerlessness. And suffering, I think, what must be the most painful betrayal, his own son seeking to kill him and get rid of him. And then I think in biblical language, David says, God, what are you doing? Or in Psalm 86, verse 11, more politely, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. And I guess that's the prayer of anyone in a traumatic or confusing situation. Lord, if only I could know what you are up to. What are your plans for this? If only I knew what God was up to. In Psalm 86, the same psalm, the verses before we read today, David prays, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So often we want to set ourselves up as God in the world. We want to control our own fates. And all our technology, all our medicine, all our everything is geared towards making us independent, self-sustaining. But David, as powerful as he was, is brought to a place of surrender, of saying, only you, God, are God. And only you can reign. In worship, David remembers 
who he is and whose he is. And so, with perspective, having prayed, teach me your way, having confessed God's grace and God's kindness and God's mercy, he is able to surrender. I wouldn't say that everything turns out exactly the way David would have had it, because although he loves his son Absalom, there is a battle in which Absalom is killed. The Battle of Ephraim Wood. And in good Old Testament irony, Absalom's beautiful hair is what gets him tangled up in a tree where some of David's men kill him. You're familiar with that story in the Old Testament. Very strange. So David regains his throne, but it's not as if his problems are solved, is it? I mean, imagine living with that reality, and David is most upset with his men who who actually killed his son and mourns the death of his son for the rest of his life. But in worship, I think he finds his sanity. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth, Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I wish knowing God would make our problems disappear. And I heard a preacher on TV this morning basically telling people that God would make their problems disappear. But it's not true in Scripture and it's not true in our experience. But when we stop and we look in God's direction, Like David, we are able to remember God's love and pray in faith because, as David puts it, you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. The truth of knowing that God, even in our worst and irredeemable times, comforts and helps us and, in a way, rescues us. The Gospel reading said for today, I think it helps us to see God's plan in the longer perspective. It's a parable from Matthew about the wheat and the tares. We know that the farmer sows his field only to find that wheat and weeds grow up at the same time. And I guess that's a bit like life, isn't it? Each of our lives has wheat and weeds in it. Some of the wheat is situations, and some of the wheat is people, and some of the weeds are situations, and some of the weeds are people. (laughs) But maybe we're weeds sometimes too. But when the slaves come to say, "Um, shouldn't we pull out the weeds? The farmer in his wisdom says, you know, if if I were to pull out the weeds, we'd probably pull out the wheat too. In our experience of joy and suffering in this life in which we know good and evil as Adam chose it in Genesis. Sometimes the weeds aren't, the wheat isn't as sweet (laughs) without knowing the weeds that harm us along the way. So when the wheat and the weeds are ripe, the wheat would have grown higher than this particular weed, which I read about in a commentary. And so the harvesters would have been instructed to cut high and they would have harvested the wheat off the top and afterwards come through to harvest the weeds which which would have grown underneath. And then burnt the field or burnt the weeds in the hope of destroying 
any hope of them growing again in the next harvest. The interpretation of any parable is a little unnerving because if you take anything too far, you could get to a point of ridiculousness. And so it's important to remember that this is not Jesus saying 1.1, this is how it is, 1.2, this is the other aspect of it. Because then we would believe that, that if you're a weed, you're going to be a weed all your life. And by some miracle, and we read about that in Romans, God transforms weeds into wheat sometimes. And so Jesus explains that, that the Son of Man, Jesus sows the good seed, and the devil sows the weeds. And in the kingdom of God, God is king, and we are not. Humble and obedient rather than rebellious, we are the, we, the wheat, the people who live the kingdom of God. And the parables of Matthew 13 are told in the context of Jesus' statement in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 50. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And the whole thing going on in Matthew 13 is Jesus is speaking to his disciples and his followers about hearing and doing the will of God in the world about being wheat for the world, about being bread to the world, about being positive people in a world of negativity. And so in the previous parable, which everybody knows so well, Jesus talks about sowing seed in good soil, in hard soil, etc., etc. You know that well. But Jesus says that the seed sown is the word of the kingdom. The message of what God's kingdom is like and how we should live in that kingdom. That word blossoms and flourishes within us and the kingdom comes into being. But in that parable too, there are weeds, distractions that prevent some of the wheat from becoming what it is meant to be. And so I think Jesus kind of blends the two parables together in his interpretation, as he speaks about the second part of his parable, the day when the reapers and angels collect up the weeds and throw them into the fire. Now this could be a scary uh, saying of Jesus, couldn't it? As we think, what if I'm a weed and I get thrown in the fire and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, as the Bible puts it so graphically often. But what I like about verse 41 is is Jesus says they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. All causes of sin. That's a promise of purification, of cleansing. A promise of taking even from within each of us, I believe, the stuff that causes us to sin. But all the stuff that causes us to sin is the stuff that causes us not to love as we should love and causes the world to become a broken and mixed up place as it is. I kind of think we should look forward to this kind of cleansing fire. And what about evildoers that are threatened in this passage? 
we surrender to God's judgment, that perhaps if we are intentionally evil, we do not belong in his kingdom, and entrust all of that to God's judgment. This kind of verse is also the kind of verse that's often interpreted as an affirmation of the idea of an eternal hell where people will burn and blister and suffer. But in the language that Jesus uses and that we see in that that passage, it's really just a kind of cleansing and throwing on the rubbish heap, which isn't such a great thing. But it's words about destruction and removal and not about vindictive punishment, so to speak. So there is hope. We live amongst weeds, and some of us have weeds in us. And those weeds prevent us from becoming the wheat that we long to be. And I think that God begins the process of cleansing even now, weeding us out a little bit, pulling out the causes of sin within us, And that we can look forward, as it says in the parable, to the day when the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Jesus is promising us the hope of triumph of God over evil and injustice, over the evil and injustice we see and experience now, and calling us to live in that hope as a reality. Psalm 86 David, in his time of despair, entrusts himself to God because he knows that God is good and that even though his circumstances may be bad at the time, and I think his whole life was wrecked with difficulty and despair and various traumas, that eventually God will win out and remove the evil from his life. In Matthew, Jesus' parable about wheat and weeds is about how God will eventually root out the weeds from our lives, and that we as God's children will one day flourish and shine in God's righteousness. Then there's the message of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 perhaps is in the context of what Paul says, you have received a spirit of adoption. If you are children, then you are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The language of being children of the devil comes up in the parable of the sower, of the the wheat and the tares. Jesus says, if you're a weed, you're a child of the devil, and if you're wheat, you're a child of the Son of Man. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul says that you have received a spirit of adoption, and even though you were once a weed, you've been adopted and you're now wheat. And if you're children, then you're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So we can know that we're not weeds. But Paul also affirms the reality of struggle in this age. The problem of trying to be wheat surrounded by weeds. The problem is that when Jesus' kingdom message is lived properly, it's going to be painful. You're going to have to love people that you struggle to love. You're going to have to sacrifice stuff that makes you comfortable and take up stuff that makes you uncomfortable. 
And sometimes the way of Jesus is not compatible with the ways of the world in which we long to live. So Paul can say, in the light of the struggle, in chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Living in hope. The whole creation, he says, is groaning in labor pains. That painful process which Heather and I will, or Heather will mostly experience and I will witness as our child comes into the world, our second child. But that pain that produces something good. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. We are the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, the hope that we should expect. So perhaps we, like the psalmist, like David, need to stop ourselves from being God for a change. We need to stop thinking that everything should just go according to our plans. Surrender ourselves to God and say, Lord, teach me your ways. Give me your perspective on this situation. Help me to see that that one day you will deal with these weeds that are troubling me now. Help me to see them all in perspective, knowing that ultimately you who have shown your love to me on the cross will have the victory. The scriptures set for today encourage us to hope and trust, to set our faith in God who loves us. Let us pray.